Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Sarah Page, Managing Director of Plums, a fourth-generation family business. Sarah, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on the program today. Um, We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Well, I think um, leadership in in today's society and business world is all about um, setting very clear objectives, setting the vision for my team and my business. And um, and at the heart of it is really communication, keeping people engaged with what we're trying to achieve, where we're driving the business, and making sure people understand their roles within it. What would you describe your personal leadership style as? Uh, Well, I'm very much on the scale of people first. Um, I think that a lot can be achieved. We run a manufacturing business, so we're making um, loose covers and reupholstery, and we're very much focused on um, the craft skill side of people. And um, and it's a fine balance um, in terms of um, ensuring you're driving top quality um, against output and making sure that um, hitting margins, etc. All these things are very important, but all of that is driven by um, our people, our team, making sure people are engaged with what we're trying to uh, achieve and um, and making sure people clearly are communicated with. So I would say definitely for myself personally, I'm definitely on the people side. I'm very much on the shop floor, uh, engaging with staff and um, and making sure that we're driving the standards that we want to achieve for our business. Now, with running a family business, are there any particular unique challenges in that? Oh, that's a loaded question. Um, family <laughs> businesses are unique, I would say. Um, anyone working in a family business uh, will understand uh, what I mean by that. I, I currently work with 14 members of my family uh, on a day-to-day basis. Wow. Um, and um, yeah, and that, that in itself brings its own challenges because you have to keep the balance between the work environment and the home environment and tr- try and have a separate life and, and, and all get on. But um, I think because there is strong leadership at the top, and um, and I set the uh, vision for where we're going. Um, I think there's a, a great element of respect for family members that they are sharing that vision and pushing it forward. Uh, obviously, for family, they always have um, an opportunity to come in the door and have a word or an idea. And I think that's really important for me to keep listening because the business must evolve if we're if we're to move on to the next generation. Naturally, um, but family businesses are unique. Um, there's no doubt about it. Let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you first started your working life. Was there any particular yes. individual who formed the way that you lead today? Um, well, I mean, I would say very strongly my father is a, a massive influence. He's a, a totally, um, he, he was a real entrepreneur dad. I mean, he's still with us. He's a great guy, but a real visionary in terms of looking for next opportunity. And as a business, we've had to evolve many times um, over the last 60 years um, and not just with product but also in terms of the service that we offer and you know I mean if I go back to some of his successes I mean he brought the first continental quilts into the UK and he was very visionary with things like compact disc players which of course you know is all old tech now but um, I think what's the lesson that he taught me is that um, you must keep moving you must always be looking for the next 
product, the next idea, um, and um, be really flexible to listen to the customer. Um, that um, it, you might want to sell one thing, but you've got to be able to adapt and change quickly to respond to what the customer wants to buy. Now, so I course, think he's probably my most visionary. That and also my grandfather, who taught me the value of money um, on the market store, cashing up, and making sure it's all added up. <laughs> and uh, at the end of the day, a lot of it's about money. <laughs> well, those lessons are, are ones that last a lifetime and are incredibly important. Um, do you Absolutely. find that you pass these uh, on to the next generation through any sort of mentorship schemes within your uh, business? Yeah, so when I joined the business um, at 17 full-time, uh, I spent two years going through the organization. I spent uh, time on every department, uh, appreciating everybody's role in the business. And that's valuable to me today as it was at the time. I didn't perhaps realize it at the time. So all four of my children are now working in the business. So it's really important that I make sure I expose them to as many different job roles and also um, different initiatives that are happening in the business. I think I'm quite open-minded in terms of giving them opportunity. And I think that comes primarily because hopefully our business will move to the next generation. That's what we're uh, working to as it stands at the moment. And I very much see my role now as giving them leadership and opportunity to see that A, they can achieve within their own skill set um, and have the opportunity to really add value to the business. And uh, I think that's very important that I ensure that happens and they, they get the opportunity to, to find uh, their path forward and to contribute to the business of the next generation. Now, of course, um, running a business and uh, leading a team uh has a has its own unique challenges. You are dealing with human beings who have their uh, own fallibilities and aren't always at their best. And especially within your situation, uh, you have members of your family uh, who are employed yeah. uh, by the firm. How do you walk the tightrope of dealing with these uh, sorts of challenges uh, when they uh, rear their ugly head? Well, um, I think a lot can be achieved with people by having a good sit down and an open conversation. I, I don't have a lot of room in my life for um, shouting or uh, losing tempers because I don't think that's achieved anything. But I think that if you can have a respectful conversation and ensure that people can see things clearly of what the business is trying to achieve and that you also listen very carefully to why it has caused the point of conflict in the first place. Because, you know, as leaders, we are busy and you can't possibly know everything. Um, and so sometimes there are factors that come into play in a situation that if you take the time to listen, there is perhaps a piece of the jigsaw you weren't aware of. And therefore, you can, you know, adapt your decision or, or, or move in a different direction. So I think listening and clear talking is well, I think it's the two greatest key skills in terms of ensuring that you have good working relationships. Because, you know, in all businesses, um, there are tense points, whether that is a business factor driving tensions high or a project to be achieved or a deadline. And so inevitably, um, there are no perfect lives and there are no perfect people. And we all have to do our best to get on um, together in the circumstances. So I think I think people at the heart and clear talking is, I think, the way forward. Now, if I was to ask you, who is the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? 
oh, well, I'm a great advocate of the Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be quite controversial, um, I know, and not to be influenced by the current TV um, crown um, uh, sort of montage that's going on. But I think the Queen is quite a remarkable woman. I think she has weathered many storms, and I'm sure we know very little of it, in, despite television um, and media um, input. But I think she's a remarkable woman that remains a consistent line, um, has taken her duty of her job seriously, applied herself well, and um, and she is ultimately, you know, managing not only a huge family and all the complications of their lives, but she's also, um, you know, a leadership role model uh, across the world and more fantastic. She's a lady and I think that's marvellous and has done it for a very long time, you know, and I think, um, I think across the world has, um, you know, found a way forward with enormous respect. And I think that's, you know, I think I think she's a great a great leader. I absolutely couldn't agree with you more. Um, Her Majesty does provide uh, such a good example uh, to us all of how to uh, deal with uh, difficult things with uh, grace absolutely. and civility. Um, unfortunately, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. But what right. does the next twelve months have in store for Plums? Oh, well, it's an exciting time for us because we are a traditional um, business that, that relies very much on traditional media for advertising, etc. And we're really embracing this year. It's a year of e-commerce, getting uh, uh, the digital platforms um, really in shape and giving uh, hopefully a new opportunity for a younger customer to interact with us um, directly um, uh, by the web. And um, we're really excited about it. We're well on with our plans and uh, holds much opportunity uh, a new, a new um, customer emerging, hopefully, which will uh, be very exciting and hopefully the next generation will get stuck in and make the most of it. <laughs> well, Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you and I very much hope you'll come back on the program at some point in the near future. Sarah, thank you. Lovely. Thank you very much. That was Sarah Page, Managing Director of Plums. And now, if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, <laughs> one or two injuries. Um but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham 
uh, GF. And when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there... It's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And, of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with the, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, w- would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he, uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life. Leadership is at the top. He's absolutely vital. For a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure... When you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. 
Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time... At, Maybe overly strict for the time. You probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn song, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think... Mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt 
people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great, hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now, but it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did. Uh, um, it did but make then again, laugh, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, 
you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of the uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And, and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to. Uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the, 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's ast- absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, well, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but 
the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out, I think, looking at so that. So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good, good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, the wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. It, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't, and- when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorize those, I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it, Yes, the word, the, word is team. The, word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. You know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without? in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. It, it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top, Managers and lead it, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm. I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organization. And I think that's you completely focus, you're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, 
thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome, Bruce. Good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.